One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hello, and welcome to the Rachman Review. I'm Gideon Rachman, Chief Foreign Affairs Commentator of the Financial Times. In this edition, we're focusing on Brazil, which this week passed a grim landmark as it became the second country after the US to register more than 50,000 deaths from COVID-19. But while the outside world focuses on Brazil's struggles with the coronavirus, much of the country's own political elite is preoccupied by the turmoil surrounding Brazil's controversial president, Jair Bolsonaro. I'll be discussing these issues with my guest, Oliver Stunkel, a professor at the Gutulio Vargas Foundation in Sao Paulo. So will COVID-19 bring down Jair Bolsonaro? Just four years ago, Brazil was the host of a great international celebration. The opening of the Rio Olympics in 2016 was a sign of the favourable international attention Brazil was attracting as an exciting, optimistic nation of over 200 million people. Brazil's a country I've travelled to several times in recent years, both as a journalist and as a tourist, and it's hard not to fall in love with the place with its extraordinary and varied scenery, vast scale, spectacular weather, and the openness and lively nature of Brazilian society. But even as the Olympics opened, all was not well. The country was in the middle of a severe economic crisis, and a massive corruption scandal had seen many of Brazil's leading politicians disgraced and imprisoned, leading to demonstrations on the streets. Hard times and political scandal proved to be the perfect recipe for the rise of a right-wing populist, Jair Bolsonaro a former army captain who'd spent many years as a relatively obscure congressman. But in the new political atmosphere, he launched an insurgent run for the presidency and won. In January 2019, President Bolsonaro was sworn into office. Jair Bolsonaro was swiftly labelled the Trump of the tropics. And as president, he struck up a firm friendship with U.S. President Donald Trump. I also uh, know that we're going to have a fantastic working relationship. Uh, we have many views that are similar, and we certainly feel very, very uh, true to each like other. Like the American president, Mr. Bolsonaro is a very divisive figure. He's adored by his supporters, but hated by many on the left because of the hard right positions he's taken on a range of issues such as climate change and gay rights. Until COVID-19 struck Brazil, Bolsonaro seemed pretty well entrenched in power. But now, the country's facing an economic, health and political crisis, with talk of possible impeachment or even a military coup. And pro- and anti-Bolsonaro demonstrators are taking to the streets. When I got Oliver Stunkel on the line from Sao Paulo, I asked him first, about how the grim news about COVID-19 had affected the public mood in Brazil. Well, it's quite interesting because the, the country is mostly focusing on the political crisis, contrary to many other countries, even in Latin America, that are very much focused on containing the pandemic. In Brazil, sort of the daily debate is very much about, you know, will there be an impeachment? 
how the investigations against the president uh, going is a risk for Brazilian democracy. So because of that, there's sort of a, a sense of despair among those who do look at the, the situation, uh, you know, the rising number of deaths, because uh, the government itself doesn't seem to focus on dealing with what is one of the uh, most severe health crises that Brazil has ever faced. Yeah, no, the political crisis is fascinating. We'll get on to that. But for the moment, let's just focus on, on COVID-19. I mean, you know, I'm speaking to you from a country that has had a great many deaths. But is there any sense in which you think it's actually fair to blame the Brazilian president, Jair Bolsonaro, for what is a very difficult situation for countries all over the world? Well, yes. I mean, it's, of course, also uh, true that countries that have taken this very seriously are also suffering a lot. And uh, Peru comes to mind, the president who is really uh, you know, taking this very seriously, had listened to expert advice from early on, and yet the country is, you know, facing a lot of difficulties. But in Brazil's case, it's really difficult to say that Bolsonaro is not to blame because he has consistently minimized the crisis. He has questioned science consistently. He has ousted two ministers of health, both who refused to sort of join him on this uh, anti-scientific crusade. And as a consequence, I think the country is, is rudderless in the face of this uh, pandemic. There's no clear plan. I would say it's probably unique in the world where there's really sort of no sense of where the government would like to go. The government has been trying to hide official data. Each governor is sort of setting up his or her own plan. And a lot of people who look at what the president is doing, he's greeting supporters during weekly gatherings. So a lot of people have doubts about whether this pandemic actually exists or if the media is not completely biased because they don't like the president. He is the person who is clearly to blame when we need to explain why Brazil is one of the most affected countries in the world. And he's actually, I mean, he's gone further even than, say, Donald Trump, who has expressed some skepticism about the disease and at times uh, expressed sympathy for the anti-lockdown protesters. But Bolsonaro has actually addressed their rallies, hasn't he? Absolutely. And he's been way more radical than Trump. Initially, I think he was looking towards Trump because he also knows that uh, the economic crisis that's coming because of the pandemic is so severe that it'll clearly affect his approval rating. So he has always sought to sort of say, you know, this is not my problem. I want to be uh, the president of the reopening. I'm, I'm not going to say that, you know, it's the pandemic's fault. I'm going to say that it's the governor's fault, or the mayor's fault who insist on adopting these social distancing measures. So I think that's sort of the explanation of why he has consistently questioned whether it actually makes sense to adopt any specific measures. And he has set a very bad example when it comes to meeting and greeting and uh, hugging protesters, joining those protests, and also diverting public attention to other issues. The, the president is constantly tweeting about other issues, talking about other issues, because he doesn't want the public to focus on what is a grave mishandling of the crisis. Right now, in comparison to the U.S. government, there are no serious sort of health specialists speaking on behalf of the Brazilian government. So he's been way more radical than any leader in the democratic world. Now, turning to the political crisis, it's got many aspects to it. But how much in the fall in uh, Bolsonaro's standing and the growing pressure on him. How much is that related to his mishandling of COVID-19? Well, his approval ratings are clearly falling in part because those 
moderate voters who voted for uh, the president because they thought that the technocrats would be able to contain him have really understood now that there is no way to contain the president. He is a radical and he has ousted pretty much all the technocrats and you know those who appealed to the more moderate elites. So this has created a sense among sort of those more centrist voters uh, that he is unable to actually govern. Bolsonaro is always about, you know, anti-establishment, anti-science, and health specialists are part of the establishment. But he is fairly protected right now still because a lot of people still don't want to take the streets. So there's not a lot of opportunities yet to actually stage street protests. But in addition to the pandemic, there's several other issues. You know, the president has sacked his minister of justice, who's seen as the symbol of the anti-corruption movement. So that has um, affected uh, his support. And then there's, you know, a very difficult economic situation, uh, a growing number of people losing faith in the president's capacity to actually fix the economy. But I would still say that his mishandling of the pandemic has been one of the key reasons uh, to explain why he's in so much trouble right now and why he's using also authoritarian tactics now to survive. So uh, you say he's using authoritarian tactics to survive. Could you elaborate? What's he doing? Well, he's in somewhat ambiguous fashion, sometimes not so ambiguous. For example, saying that um, he may not accept, quote unquote, absurd rulings by Congress, which uh, may be interpreted as he would not perhaps uh, accept uh, an impeachment. And, you know, he's filled his cabinet with a military Uh, There's now 3,000 military men working in the government, which is more than during the military dictatorship. You know, lots of key people, 10 of his 22 ministers are military. And some of those generals are still active. They're not retired generals. And they've been also saying fairly ambiguous things. There's now an investigation going on about irregularities of uh, campaign finance during the campaign, which could lead the electoral courts to annul the uh, 2018 elections. Several generals and Bolsonaro himself have also said that they may not accept decisions by that electoral court, which could threaten Bolsonaro in power. And I have spoken to politicians who say they're not so sure if uh, Bolsonaro would actually accept such proceedings. So he's clearly seeking to intimidate both the courts and Congress because he understands that his, his hold on power is at risk. And so he's increasingly depending on the military in order to avoid any challenge to his power. And you mentioned Sergio Moro, the justice minister, earlier. And I guess his resignation was a key moment in suggesting that Bolsonaro was indeed a threat to the rule of law because Moro was very important to the anti-corruption drive that led partly to the fall of the previous president, Dilma Rousseff. But his presence in the government was a sign of respectability for Bolsonaro. So... Why did Moro go, and is he potentially a threat to the government from the outside? Well, absolutely. So he gave, together with the Minister of Finance, he provided legitimacy, respectability. You know, those are the people who could travel to Davos and say, you know, this government uh, really wants to uh, implement important reforms. Uh, Moro was somebody who could, you know, provide substance to Brazil's interest in joining the OECD. You know, these were people who were internationally recognized and very, very important, again, to assure support, for example, of banks and, you know, elites in Brazil. Uh, So in that sense, they were absolutely crucial. And this all began when evidence emerged that uh, Bolsonaro uh, directly sought to sack one of the federal police commanders in Rio de Janeiro, who was overseeing 
an investigation into some of Bolsonaro's son's financial dealings or some evidence that, you know, there may be cases of, of corruption going on with potential ties between Bolsonaro's family and organized crime. And this led Moro then to publicly announce that he spoke about this in great detail, that he was leaving government because he believed that the president was not interested in actually fighting corruption. And yes, he could be a threat because of the revelations, of course, which have weakened the government considerably, but also because he is certainly somebody who could run for president in 2022. He would probably see him as kind of a, a more moderate center-right candidate who would be attractive to a lot of people who only voted for Bolsonaro because they didn't want the Workers' Party, who had been in power for 14 of the past 16 years, to win the election again, basically. A lot of people who reluctantly voted for Bolsonaro, who had clearly shown that, you know, he wasn't really sort of a convinced Democrat who you know, glorified the dictatorship and so on. So Moro, as a candidate, could be attractive. And as a consequence, I think, is the greatest threat to Bolsonaro, because even Bolsonaro having led Brazil into this very precarious situation, it's too early to count him out. He could still make it until the end of his first term in office. And he could even, if it was again against the Workers' Party, be reelected in 2022. So Moro is in that sense sort of a more democratic, more uh, moderate, palatable to the elites candidate who is certainly a big threat to uh, the president. And the flashpoint between Moro and Bolsonaro, as I understand it, was this suggestion that the kind of investigating authorities were going to begin to go after the Bolsonaro family and the children in particular. Tell us a little bit about the two sons, because they seem to be key both to these corruption allegations, but also to some of the hints about uh, military coups. Right. So Bolsonaro has four sons. Three are directly engaged in politics. And uh, above all, his son Eduardo, who's a powerful congressman and who is supposed to become actually uh, Brazil's ambassador to Washington after a public backlash, that uh, plan was uh, changed. Then there's uh, Flavio Bolsonaro, who's a senator and uh, Carlos, who's a councilman in Rio de Janeiro, and all are very important to the president, have been crucial to his whole communication strategy. And a lot suggests now that a lot of what Bolsonaro does, you know, sacking the Minister of Justice, for example, knowing that this would hurt his approval ratings, but it was absolutely essential to protect his sons from investigations that are going on. One family friend who has worked sort of as an advisor to one of Bolsonaro's sons, was taken into custody last week in the house of the president's lawyers. So the son's involvement in politics, potentially, as I said, evidence of you know, money laundering, corruption, will be sort of the key issue, which is certainly uh, Bolsonaro's Achilles heel. And in knowing that this may affect him, he has now resorted to engaging with political parties that are basically you know, selling their votes in exchange for perks, for important position in public companies, uh, etc., access to public funds, in order to avoid an impeachment. Because clearly, the revelations about his family are weakening his claim that he, you know, was supposed to be the candidate who would end sort of the old politics, force trading, and systemic corruption that so many Brazilians had grown tired of. Now, obviously, to round off, I mean, it's a highly unpredictable situation, but you talk about Bolsonaro promising to end old politics. But I guess the echoes of the past are very much there. I mean, you mentioned the military coup threats, Bolsonaro 
himself has spoken favorably of the period of military government in Brazil, but more recently, the impeachment of the last president. I mean, if you had to look at the various scenarios doing the rounds, from impeachment to military intervention to just staggering on, how do you see things playing out over the next six months? Is that even a fair question? Yeah, it's it's very hard, I think, to predict at this stage because Bolsonaro is clearly weakened and he is radicalizing as a consequence. So he's losing moderate support. He's losing a lot of allies also on the right. And he's increasingly relying on the armed forces. And the armed forces are really in a troublesome situation right now because they are fairly respected differently from other Latin American countries that have democratized and had sort of a clear reckoning and looked at what the uh, military had done during the military dictatorship. This did not really take place in Brazil, which also made it possible for a candidate who expressed nostalgia for the dictatorship to actually win, which would be completely impossible in Chile or Argentina, where a lot of people know, most people know about human rights abuses and so on. So the armed forces want to protect their good standing in Brazil, but they know that they're increasingly being pulled into the Bolsonaro government. And half of the armed forces say, well, we need to get out because this is really affecting our reputation. The others say, we need to actually go in in order to avoid you know, a train wreck because we're so deep into this already that we're increasingly being associated to the Bolsonaro government. So there's this debate going on in particularly low-level soldiers and colonels, etc., tend to have more sympathy with the president. So that's a big question. What are the armed forces going to do? To what extent are they willing to embark on an authoritarian project? A lot of generals have said there's no way that the armed forces would support Bolsonaro in such a situation. Others have made much more ambiguous statements. But as we know, the strategy of anybody with authoritarian tendencies is never to make it look like an initiative but always as a reaction to some threat. And Bolsonaro is constantly talking about, you know, the threat of communism, the threat of chaos. And he may use the coming economic crisis and the instability that will inevitably come to Brazil because of the economic scenario to sort of project an authoritarian project as a reaction or as a move to stabilizing a country that is rudderless, basically. And that's a fear that the armed forces may feel forced to go along with Bolsonaro as he is, you know, plotting a coup and trying to make it look like a stabilizing measure. The other issue is, can the opposition unite? And that's the big problem right now, because the Workers' Party prefers to run against Bolsonaro two years down the line, rather than, let's say, a fairly popular vice president, Morão, a general also, or against Moro. So they don't want to give Moro the victory of having initiated the process of impeaching Bolsonaro. There's a lot of people on the left who believe that Moro is actually more dangerous than Bolsonaro himself, because Moro is sort of a polished version of Bolsonaro, but also authoritarian. So the likelihood of the democratic camp working together against Bolsonaro right now is limited, but that may change if public pressure grows on the democratically-minded parties to unite against the president. And then, of course, on top of that, we have to look at how the pandemic evolves right now. Everything suggests that things will deteriorate a lot, that the economy will deteriorate a lot. And as a consequence in Latin America, that leads to political instability and increases the chances for impeachment. If the crisis becomes as deep as a lot of economists suggest right now, I would say it's very, very difficult 
for Bolsonaro to finish his four years in office. Okay, thank you, Oliver, for that uh, masterful summary. That was really fascinating. So we'll have to leave it there for now, but we'll be watching Brazil very carefully over the coming months. Thanks a lot. That was Oliver Stunkel in Sao Paulo, ending this edition of the Rachman Review. And if you could spare a few moments, we'd love to hear from you about what you think about the show and how it can improve. We're running a survey, which you can find at ft.com slash survey. You might also like to subscribe to the FT's Coronavirus Business Update, a level-headed expert email briefing on how the pandemic's affecting global markets, business, and the workplace. Visit ft.com slash RachmanReviewCovid to sign up for free access for 30 days. There's a link in our show notes. And please join us again next week. You can find us in all the usual podcast apps. Here at Bellingcat, we get to the bottom of things. From a global crisis to an underreported event, we find the facts using publicly available tools and resources, uncovering what is hidden on and below the surface. We connect the dots using social media posts, satellite images, and public records, and empower others to do the same by sharing how we do it. The ability to do so is only made possible by our readers, supporters, and community members. Care to join us? Learn how at bellingcat.com.